0: Deciding to make music my full-time job took a lot of convincing. Convincing myself. I spent years, years, telling myself that this obsessive interest in music of mine was merely a passing hobby. As the years rolled and I did not let up, collecting records, going to shows, playing in bands, eventually I was forced to admit that the job I wanted was in music, more specifically playing in a touring band full-time. My hesitation stemmed from my idea of it. It was a fool's wish to be a musician full-time. The competition is outrageous. The odds of it working out are stacked up against you, and even if you do achieve a modicum of success, it's fleeting. To make it even more laughable, I can't read music. Don't know music theory. I'm anything but a studied musician. I just listen to records. Hearing someone say that they want to be in a rock band is like hearing a five-year-old child say they want to play on the New York Yankees. It's sweet, but give me a break. So I tricked myself and enrolled into film school, and that's where I remained for five years after high school. If there's anything I learned in film school, it's that your original vision as an aspiring auteur will hardly ever be truly realized. It will be constantly picked apart by not only people you disagree with, but for whom you have little respect. So, I bailed early after realizing this insight. It helped me face the all-too-obvious truth that my future lay in music, whether I liked it or not. Now, music is still an ambition filled with compromise, but if you surround yourself with the right people, for a lot less at stake, you can have your vision partially, if not fully, seen through to fruition. Being in a band with people who share the same goal is still filled with compromise, arguments, and accommodation, but shared interests on a level playing field help alleviate the anxiety one may feel when conceding to higher-ups as is the case many times in film. Having gone through the filmic process, albeit in the protective environment of academia, I have a true respect and admiration for those who trudged forward with their cinematic visions and saw them to fruition. It takes someone of strong stuff, stronger stuff than I sure have, to persevere through the madness of the film world and to come out of it with anything resembling a viewable product. If you can achieve success and respect in this field, you not only are meant to be there, you are a rare specimen. Jonas Söderlund is someone I see who sort of did the opposite of what I did. Jonas was in the first incarnation of Bathory, the legendary Swedish death metal band, but chose to pursue his true calling in cinema. But music was second nature to Jonas as his breakthrough came via the music video world, making innovative three or four minute masterpieces for musicians like The Prodigy, Roxette, Madonna, and Metallica. His work only catapulted him upward and he went on to work with Paul McCartney, The Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, U2, Beyonce, and even more Madonna and even more Metallica. His videography reads like a best of video awards ceremony show card. You don't get to be this good making music videos without eventually entering into the feature film world. And Jonas has done just that with films like Spun, Small Apartments, his upcoming new film out in 2019 called Polar with Mads Mikkelsen and Vanessa Hutchins, shot in Toronto, I might add, and Lords of Chaos coming out later this year. Lords of Chaos is the film that intrigues me and the rest of the heavy music world the most. It is a movie about the Norwegian black metal scene of the 1990s and the chaos that swirled within it. It isn't an adaptation of the book, it only took the book's name. If there's anyone in the film world qualified to tell this story, it's Jonas Åkerlund, As co-founder of Bathory, his metal cred is undeniable and impenetrable. Aside from the music, the world of metal is a world made up of shallow opinions, and everyone has one. At the end of the day, those who can will do. And that's what Jonas Ackerland does. He made the film everyone wanted to see, but were too unqualified and or too chicken shit to make. The fact that Lords of Chaos, the book, is a Feral House book, and my book is out on Feral House too. And that was another outside connection that interested me in the movie. Now, I haven't seen the film as I'm putting this podcast episode together, but as you will hear, it was done with the utmost respect to the scene, to its players, and to the story. From one very, very highly respected source who has seen the movie, his only words to me were, you're gonna love it. So I met Jonas Aukerlund at his place in Los Angeles. This podcast is a loose conversation, but... Talk did end up revolving around music and his Lords of Chaos film. I could have easily talked to Jonas about a number of other subjects. Bathory, for example, could have taken up an entire episode on its own. But this is my captured talk with Jonas on that day in sunny LA, hours before we hit the stage at the Viper Room. I want to thank Jonas and Gina for setting this up, and to Mark Ahi for putting me in touch with Jonas. Thanks to Blue Mic Microphones and Skullcandy Headphones, this episode can be heard on iTunes, SoundCloud, and you can now hear this podcast on Spotify, so please subscribe to it. I hope you enjoy this one. It's with the auteur himself, Mr. Jonas Aukerlund, and it starts
1: The Tanko Jones Park has said the best out route. They better get it, Tanko's go out for free. I'm so glad I like your song time. Tell me if I'm fucked up. Stop playing. Hey, tell
0: me, When the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do, take a listen, would you now, to what Tanko Jones would do? It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast. Turn the speakers up loud for Tanko's podcast. I began to notice that Danko was completely nuts. He'd suddenly start making weird sounds and scary faces for no reason at all. And it it wasn't just embarrassing, it, it was alarming. And now since I'm a devout Catholic,
1: I asked my local parish priest about Danko's condition, and he was sure Danko was possessed by Satan. So I helped my priest perform an exorcism on
0: Danko that very day, but it didn't work. The dude is seriously screwed, and according to my parish priest, Will burn in hell for all of eternity if he doesn't get himself checked out.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Daco Jones podcast starts.
0: I am sitting in. Um, Jonas Akerlund's, uh house. Uh, what is this? A cabana uh, uh, in your in your backyard in Los Angeles?
1: We we call it the cabana, but I don't even know what a cabana is. But it's it's a, it's a little outdoor uh, indoor thing right next to the pool. Yes,
0: it's it's very nice. And when we were driving by,
1: I had a feeling this was your
0: place because it just had it just had that vibe. You know what I mean? That dark vibe. So it was, it was cool. Um, and it's great to meet you. We have a mutual friend, Mark, yeah, Mark. from Toronto, yeah. uh, and uh, he was telling me about you and uh, working with you. You just finished uh, Polar yeah. in Toronto, and then he mentioned that you had Lords of Chaos um, ready to go. Mm. And uh, um, did you screen it while you were in Toronto? Uh,
1: yeah, we did. Well, uh, it wasn't an official screening, but when we started in pre-production to work on Polar, there was so many... Uh, of the crew and friends up there who was curious to see the mm. movie so we set up a little screening and then that was packed so we did another screening mm. uh, and of course I should have invited you Danko because you would uh, it would have been great to have you there yeah. but Sam Dunn came which is a local friend of mine and uh, and then mostly the crew guys came so mm. yeah
0: yeah Sam's a great guy I was on his uh, banger TV thing where we debated about Sepultura for uh, I think it's called locked horns okay so we went through the whole discography and, and talked about the albums and stuff Sam's a great guy
1: yeah he's like a professor in mm. in all this stuff that we <laughs> that we all like yeah yeah yeah
0: um, so when I found out that you were doing the, you you fin- it's finished and it's ready to go the Lords of chaos uh, movie based on the Lords of chaos book um, which is on Feral house I was telling you off the podcast Mike that my book is on Feral House so there's there is a kind of a connection we have Mm -hmm. um, due to the Lords of Chaos and I've read Lords of Chaos I read it 10 years ago or 12 years ago and it's a very you said it yourself it's a very charged book it's very divisive even within the scene even within the metal scene taking on a project like that and from what I understand it's been in the works for since 05, 06 am I wrong?
1: Uh, you mean the, the making of the, the production, movie? production, yeah. Yeah, no, actually way longer for me, because I had the idea of making a movie about the relationship between uh, Varg and Geronimus mm. uh, early on. Okay. And I was as curious as everybody else. Is mm-hmm. like what really happened and fascinated about these events and yeah. how how could it go that wrong and like all those questions that we had. And a lot of them was answered in documentaries and books and and uh, just by knowing people in the scene but I, it got stuck with me and I kept thinking that this would be uh, this would be a, a, a great movie and uh, eventually once we once we got a little bit more close to actually trying to make it happen uh, we decided to buy uh, the rights to Lords of Chaos the book right. just to clear the names and because I liked the title uh, but you know it's like it's the book is criticized, and it's it's everything is criticized that's part of the black metal scene you know it's yes. like uh and nothing is really true unless you were there unless you were you know true and I obviously wasn't there, but uh I feel close to the scene because i I came from the Swedish side of it, and I feel close to it because i've been thinking so much about it and mm. i so and that gave me enough juice to give it a go and and try to do it and the movie isn't in any way based on the book as much as it's it's based on all the other research that I've done around the project we kept oh, it okay. we, you know because the in in lord's in lord's of chaos of the book it's just like literally there are a few chapters in the middle that yeah. deals with what I'm talking about and my but those are the most i think the most talked about mm-hmm. chapters
0: that's Yeah, the
1: story that's most talked about yeah of course that's what made the whole scene famous yeah uh, up till this day, it's like nobody can't can't really compete with that. But in my opinion, both musical, musically, and uh, you know, the events, it's just you know, it's down in history, and and um, it's weird though why it is because people, young young kids do stupid things around the world every day. You know, it's you're not right, a it's not too. a it's not a it's very as we're speaking now, some kid is shooting some other kid somewhere around the world. But yeah. this story just kept uh coming back to me and to a lot of other people it became one of those stories that a lot of people think they own and that's that makes it it makes it a really sensitive uh, matter not only are you in black metal where everything when you are skeptical to everything but it's also a sensitive story because a lot of people think that they actually own this story this is my story i know it better than anybody else Mm -hmm. and the truth is they don't a lot of people who were even there doesn't even know the story anymore. But years has passed and the story has been changed and told in so many different ways. So what I did with the movie was like try to be as close to the reality as I can. But who am I to say that this is what happened? So in the beginning of the movie it says based on truth and then after a second it comes up and lies because I think I'm close to the reality but and I think I know I mean technically I know what happened and we I I I've read all the police reports and I know mm-hmm. I know what how the crime crime scenes looked and I know mm-hmm. I know a lot about the events but their motivation and why it happened and all that has to be speculation I don't even think anybody who was there know, mm-hmm. you know and obviously Euronymous and Pelle are both dead so they they don't know you know so it's a so it's it's a it's it's a tough move to make um but it's a very interesting movie for a lot of people to see.
0: Oh, yeah, regardless if you are a critic of the the movie existing even before you see it, you're going to want to see it. Mm. Um now uh, you said you you know the story or you you had to learn the story. How did you do that? Did you go to Bergen? Did you go to Fantoff? Did you talk to
1: Seensters? Uh yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, uh just just going online there's a ton of information but i i did go to all the places um uh, i talked to a lot of people that was around the scene um i read everything that there there is to read i mm. took i read all the police reports um yeah you know i i spoken to Jerome's parents i spoken to Pellet's brother uh, you know like a, a lot of research you know just to get to as close as I could to understand uh, what happened
0: when you like we've had we spent enough time in Norway and in Bergen specifically mm-hmm. in the music scene and in the heavy music scene so when you do that eventually you realize everybody knows Varg and Varg is actually for them he's an easy person to to get a hold of. Did you you talk to Varg? Was there any contact? No,
1: no, I haven't had any contact with Varg. And I never tried to have contact with him either. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been very outspoken about uh, his point of view uh, in different interviews, even though he changed the story a little bit over the years. But it's still, that was enough for me to build his character in the film. and you know, it's like, you know, the relationship between Varg and Euronymous, which is really the interesting part of of this of this story in my point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's impossible to really figure out what happened and why it it happened, you know. There's I mean the easy the easy answer is what Varg is saying when he's talking about the contracts and the threats that Euronymous was sending out and all that. But but uh, you know, it's pretty extreme what happened and, and to understand in depth what really happened and how they felt about it when it when it came down, that's it's it's close to impossible. And I I wonder if anybody, like I said, if anybody that was there even know, you know, how much do we really remember thirty years ago? Yeah. You know, uh, but if you keep telling the story for thirty years, the story will change a little bit. It's like broken you know, telephone. Yeah, the, the fish is this big now. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, so so i take it I take it a little bit with the grain of salt with, with what i hear but and 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 again, my responsibility is also to make a, a movie so with with saying in the beginning of the movie that it is based on truth and lies that uh, I kind of sign away uh, my responsibility a little bit to the reality as but i at the same time I'm saying that this actually happened so so it's that was my, that was my solution to Get away with what i've done in this film if you know
0: you're not making a documentary you're making a a movie
1: yeah, right? but even documentaries are always angled somehow yeah. you know and give your, give give you some sort of opinion uh, but this is clearly a movie uh, with uh, with english speaking actors that play norwegian characters and and you know uh, uh you know actors with wigs and and instruments that's mm. that's tough man it's yeah. it's you know it's like it's not really something that I wouldn't in normal go for because I've only seen people fail with with that. But that was just part of the challenge, you know, and and, um, you know, my actors were they were so deep into their characters, uh, you know, um,
0: uh, now when you when you take on a music film and you're, you're talking about actors pretending to play instruments, you, you I mean, your your videography CV is pretty much worldwide known I don't have to go down the list I can do that in the intro or people probably automatically know Um, but also I think what a lot of people don't know readily about you is that you do have super triple A cred in the metal community with your time in Bathory and when you see an actor pretending to play drums does the musician's side of you take over going no you're you're totally playing that role completely fake or you know what i mean like you you when you film a video the the drummer is the drummer he's already or she's already a drummer but
1: how were you able to well to bridge all those two sides uh, for starters you'll be surprised how many musicians i shoot in my music videos that don't know there's music (laughs) So there's always uh, uh, an element of using, uh, you know, film techniques to to get it right. But no, I was I was very keen on getting it right. And I, I personally I hate movies when when I when I see it's wrong, you know. Yeah. And when I when a T-shirt is is wrong because mm. that T-shirt didn't come out until like a year later, or when the shoes is not r- right era, or you know, like so. I was very keen on getting everything right. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily uh, luckily they took a lot of pictures Uh, the whole black metal scenes they they loved taking pictures I mean now we have everybody has their camera in the pocket but for back then uh, pre-internet and pre-mobile phones they were very good at taking pictures so I had a lot of research material to do in terms of look and and style and all that which was great and when it came to the instruments I I got it down I got it right and uh, Necker Butcher told me I don't know if you're uh, if you're aware, but I did uh, through when I shot Lords of Chaos I did a video for Metallica and I used my actors uh oh, for the, in costume to for the
0: Death Magnetic those 12 videos. Yeah, released. I you're did right. one of those right right
1: uh, I, I got a phone call from Lars and I was like dude. I'm shooting uh, a movie I can't make your video right now, and then I started to think wait a minute I got these great actors with instruments and they look fucking awesome, so I I got my actors to learn one more song. It was like you guys are learning like these 12 songs, so you may as well learn one more. So uh we shot a music video with with my actors um for the Metallica song uh, Man Unkind it's called. Mm-hmm. And um uh Necro Butcher who is the bass player of Mayhem. Sorry, um,
0: this is for Hardwired.
1: To yeah. destruct. Not yeah.
0: not de- I said Death Magnetic. Sorry. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Uh, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, uh, Necro Butcher from Mayhem saw yes. the video and he told me that's that's when he knew that this movie is going to be good. Wow. He said it looked exactly like it did. Right. The instruments were right, the water was right, and the guys played it right. And, um, you know, it's like... And on the technical side of it, it was like the way we did it was basically I gave my actors their instruments early on uh, so they could practice and listen and then they rehearsed they rehearsed hours and hours every day I had uh, uh, a couple of consultants that were there to support them and help them the one that uh, the, the the tough one was obviously the drummer because it's a lot of technical drumming and, and Hellhammer's way of playing drums is really hard mm. uh, I mean, I don't think even a good drummer could duplicate the way he do it because he's very specific in how he play. But we got it right, you know. And uh, to be honest, when you see the end result, I didn't have to sheet it as much as I thought I would because they got it right. Um, just based on, if you would unplug the playback and hear how they played it, it probably sound horrible. Right, right. But it looked right. Right. Well, it all that matters. It all. Yeah. It's all that matters. And. Uh, and Anthony, who played Hellhammer in the film, he got the drums right, uh, really good. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't a first-timer. He's actually a singer in a band, so, but, so he was familiar with, uh, with the drums. But all the other guys had never even held an instrument. The Rory, who plays Euronymous uh, in the film, he never had a guitar in his life. And
0: is that, is that Macaulay Culkin's brother, Rory? Yeah, Rory Culkin, Culkin yeah. He's right. the
1: little brother in the, in the big Culkin family, yeah.
0: Right, wow. So... These are kind of budding act- actors that are you know, new actors, but this could yeah, be the...
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, I've got a great group of kids which, with Rory and Emery Cohen, who uh, played Varg in the film, and Jack Kilmer, uh, who's playing Dead, pelle Um
0: mm. Oh, right. Yeah, because that whole story is also part of the whole Mayhem-Euronymous.
1: It's kind of the first act in the film. That's mm. kind of like what sets off the whole okay. the whole thing, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um in the book there's also kind of a side story about uh
1: Bard Faust from mm-hmm. Emperor. Mm-hmm. Is that
0: Did you touch on that yeah, story as well? Yeah. That's in did? the
1: that's in the film too. Wow. Okay. And uh, and the reason the reason why I kept that in the film is because that I mean obviously it was a big f- very famous event, but it also it also felt like after Pella's suicide there was something happened within them. There was something that triggered all these other things. And after, uh, we call it the Magna murder, after the Faust Magna murder, uh, th- it just seems like they were all immune. It made them all immune on, it was just like everything was just erased, you know, and, and throwing death threats and burning down churches and even taking it as far as killing your best friend was suddenly not as far away as it was before. So to me, these three murders in the film uh, kind of like brought them to the next level. Hmm. So that's why that scene is very important to understand why they were going the way they were going.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um, from what I understand about the whole saga of getting the Lords of Chaos movie made, there was originally a script floated around by Adam Parfrey from Feral House in o five o six. Hmm. That's
1: is that is not the script that was used? No, there. I mean historically Historically, I've heard about different Lords of Chaos uh, Norwegian black metal scripts for the last 15-20 years mm. uh, and I know other people that tried it and, uh, and every time that happened I kind of in a weird way always knew that that's never going to happen I'm the one that's going to do it mm. but I've kind of been waiting it out a little bit. Uh, and I think all these stories has, uh, there's a timing for everything. I'm actually happy I didn't make this movie five or 10 or 15 years ago, because now feel I feel like the time is right for it. But I never read any other script. I know there was a Japanese guy who came pretty far with it, actually, who had a, a, a script that was very different from mine, because it was very... He made uh, he almost made them superheroes, you know, with the corpse makeup and like all that stuff, and and I know that there's uh, there was the Adam script and there was like I heard about like all kind of like different scripts, but what I decided to do early on was to write it myself. So me and my partner Dennis kind of like we wanted to start clean and make our version of this story. So uh, so that's how I did it. Knowing that you are
0: at the helm of this project, at the helm of this movie, should put a lot of people's minds at ease simply because you are coming to this movie, this story from a Scandinavian point of view, which people must acknowledge is, is a very specific way to view the world, I, uh, the outlook. When you go to Norway Anyone else is a tourist. Mm-hmm. Y- y- your your vantage point must be. T- so that's why when I heard, when honestly, I, I, I like you said, I've heard about this Lords of Chaos movie being made like everyone else for years mm-hmm. to the point where it's became like Chinese democracy. Is it ever gonna get yeah. put out, <laughs> right? So uh, when Mark just casually mentioned, you know, he's he's you know screening Lords of Chaos, the movie. I'm like. It's done. This exists, um, and then I realized, yeah, this you're you're pretty much the perfect person to tell retell the story um, with your resume, or your body of work. Obviously, that sets you ahead of the game. But like I said, your Scandinavian point of view. Myself spending so much time in Scandinavia over the past seventeen years. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a very particular way of of being from that point of the from that part of the world
1: mm-hmm. and did
0: obviously i know the answer to this question but did it it shape the story from you when you were uh, writing the screenplay i mean
1: i think so uh well and i hope so i mean like i said i mean i number one i wanted to make a great movie you know but and of course i wanted it to feel to to have that part of the appeal of it is the that it did happen in norway and in, Sc- in scandinavia and and i th- and and make it as authentic as i could you know and i think a lot of the references that we had in our head and the memories from when we were growing up and like you know just seeing how yorunn's home looks in the beginning of the film and how their stupid garden party they had Looked. I, I mean, I used only references from my own, from my own garden parties when I was mm-hmm. fourteen, thirteen, right. fourteen, fifteen years to create that scene. I didn't even know if if the black metal guys had those parties, but I added it into the script because it felt like they should, you right. know. Right. So, so yes, of course, there was a lot of like uh, practical things and references that. I used a lot more than I do in any other American or whatever productions mm. I do, so yes, I did pull from my memory bank a lot but the the biggest challenge was the the mentality and the the way they spoke and the way they were mm. behaving and know and like i said i as much as I said all along, I wanted to be as authentic and real as I could, the big step away from the reality is to use English-speaking actors to to make the movie and and that is I get I got criticized a lot for it even before the movie was done It's like how can you do that you know it's gonna be a Hollywood production blah 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 it's not a Hollywood production at all by the way but uh, but it's a to me it was I'm not gonna go through all this and try to tell this story Without doing my best to get a big audience uh, and get the the best possible actors I can get, and that made it a natural step for me to make it an in, in English speaking movie you know it's it, i I couldn't really see it any other way uh, and now looking at the finished piece, just like you know okay, they speak english and but it's it feels very authentic and it feels very Scandinavian to me you know so so yeah. I guess
0: what I was meaning to say is you being Swedish, um, and even though you're retelling a Norwegian-based story, a Swede would be able to know the differences between Norway Norwegians and Swedish. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas anyone else, an American, wouldn't be able to decipher.
1: Right. No, and it's actually uh, there's 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 one part of this story that I wish I could have had in the movie, but it's you can only. Fit so much into a movie, which was the the fade that was going on between the uh, the Norwegian and the and um, the Norwegian black metal scene and the scared, and the Swedish mm. thrash scene, <laughs> you know the death metal scene. It was right. there was like a, a a whole rivalry thing going on. Yeah, there was right. which, which kind of interesting that that could actually be a, a whole other movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because it was uh, really interesting to see. Um, and it's 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 actually when i go to norway it really feels like i'm going to a different country than sweden it's very very different yeah. we look the same and i guess we, we we eat the same and we breathe the same air but it's so different in mentality and
0: there is i've spent so much time in sweden mm. that when i go to norway i'm i'm totally aware of the differences yeah
1: yeah it's it's interesting yeah it is interesting actually
0: it, it's hard to describe even even though i've been through it
1: yeah you just feel it it's something i can totally relate i understand what you mean actually now 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 when we talk about it like this it's like when you if you if i if you think about this story lords of chaos it actually could have been a, a tv series instead of a movie because there's so many things that i couldn't go into Mm-hmm. You know, like the, uh, the whole journalist's perspective, the the police investigation, the Sweden, Norway's fade, like you know the parents, uh, the music, you know the the trial later the trial and like there's so many side things and 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 you're almost extreme, uh, like you know, t- t- thinking about marketing and thinking about thinking globally. Uh, pre-internet. It was amazing that he had that and all the tapes he was sending around the world and like all that stuff it Those were things that I couldn't couldn't get into in the movie because there's not enough room in just Mm -hmm. a movie This would have been an interesting uh, series actually where you have more time to to go deep into all the aspects of it Sure. I mean now I guess with the sudden
0: advent of the proliferation of Netflix seasons and Mm-hmm. four episodic you know yeah.
1: uh, shows and stuff i guess yeah definitely and i love those long documentaries now that you know i just saw i just finished the grateful dead one i don't know if you've seen it it's like Which, I w- yeah i was never it's it's on amazon and i'm not i was oh, yeah. never a big deadhead or anything but it's just so incredible that you can get six hours to go deep into mm-hmm. all aspects of their yeah of what they did what they achieved you know and wild wild country is one I, I would recommend yeah, so I it's a, I mean it's long but it's like you Great. know you get the whole thing you know yeah yeah so i mean and 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 this like between basically between 83 84 up to like 90 there's like a 10 year thing mm. in norway that it's really interesting what happened you know um and
0: again i have to press that you have super cred being in you know, uh, your time you spent in Bathory. I mean, I think any, any, any kind of criticism anyone has uh, against you making this film, I mean, all you have to do is show them your credentials and that should just shut them up. I th- so am I right to assume that your first music video was a candle mass video. Yeah. So it yeah. starts off with like super <laughs> metallic cred.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, no, I was I was I was uh I was lucky to end up in a production company in in, in Stockholm uh at right around the right time. We Sweden was the last country in the world to get uh, commercial TV. Mm-hmm. And there was such a huge need for uh people who could film and 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 you know, just there, there wasn't even any Commercial or music video directors around. It's like you know Ingmar Bergman country and the yeah. Dramatic Institute and the yeah. the government owned TV and and like all that stuff. So I was I started right around the right time and 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 film editing became like a passion for me and really took over and and and, and it was no question for me that editing was what I was meant to do in my life and not uh, playing drums anymore. Right. Uh, it was an easy choice, uh, and film editing just became like, you know, my big passion. And I was lucky to work in that environment where there was so much going on, and I worked on music videos. This is way before MTV existed in Europe at all. Um, but we still did a lot of music-driven things, and, uh, and I, you know, I, my best friends are in all these bands, you know, so that's how I started to do music videos, and Candlemas was like you know like a really early thing It's like okay here's the camera it's like which direction do we shoot you know and then it's just like okay we put it together we make a little story here uh, I love that that video is still around I love that you even know about it that it's still around and it, that YouTube exists so there's out it's, it's out there to mm, see yeah. but uh, you know that that and the fact that I worked in this production company that really encouraged new thinking and and that became not only my film school but it became like the whole country of Sweden's film school that era where you because there wasn't any film schools uh, that, but we had a chance to actually work with real budgets and real clients and real uh, with a very high ambition level you know So the, and the, there was an explosion of great directors and filmmakers that came out of that era that are now all working around the world you know it's, it's incredible that that happened you know
0: um, a friend of mine I've been told, studied under you, Amir, yeah, yeah. from Infinite yeah, of Mass. Yeah, of course. And he's done some great videos on his own. And uh, What's the connection between Amir
1: and, and you? Well, I've I known him forever. And actually, I know you guys are friends, because uh, he talked a lot about you. And uh, no, he uh, uh, we had a production company back where we represented him as a director. So my company oh, produced okay. uh, all his music videos, and we became friends... And uh, today I consider him one of my best friends. You know, he's he's my first call when I get back to Sweden. Always. Really. Yeah. No. And he comes here, and we actually represent him here in America too. And he's he just finished a TV series in Sweden. Uh, yeah. He's he's great. He's he's awesome. I, he, I, I never saw
0: like I know he's got like two movies out, but they're in Swedish, so I don't really. Yeah. I can't. I don't understand them. But one was with Hank from Turbo Negro, right? Yeah. That was I wanted to I wanted to watch it. I just
1: don't Yeah, no, don't he understand did. It. He did I mean his I mean his first movie was uh, like really brave. Such a brave guy. He made a black and white movie about his father and he played his father in the movie. I mean it's it's just in, about his father coming to, to Sweden back in the 70s. It's it, it was an incredible art it's an art movie, but it's incredible how he did that. And then his second movie is about Cornelis Riesvik, this very famous uh, Swedish uh, singing songwriter. Okay, and that's who Hank. Hank played. Uh, the, the, played.
0: Yeah. And I saw I saw Hank around the time the movie came out. I saw Hank on a, one of those Swedish TV shows in Sweden, where I think they do they set up in Liseberg? and it's just like families singing like mm-hmm. together and, and on the weekends or something. And yeah. Hank was there like like on that stage with a suit singing. And we all know how Hank really is, yeah. so it was a bit kind of yeah. jarring, but I think yeah. it was to promote Amir's movie,
1: yeah, it must have been, yeah. it must have been yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of the turbo Yugen saw that, you know, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> you know like, but uh, that was yeah that's pretty cool I've always wanted to know that connection yeah I haven't seen Amir in a few years, but uh i always I always loved his music videos, and I heard that he had kind of there was some understudy connection with you and him like he studied yeah. under you or something like that
1: yeah now we known each other for a while and i'm uh, a few years older than him so he came in a little later but he's but he was early on though both with his band but also the way they approached uh, music videos with infinite mass they were like you know okay we can't find anybody to do it we'll do it ourselves and the, all those videos look better than Most other videos back then, you know. So, and like I said, he just finished a TV series too, a big TV series for Swedish TV. So. What's that about? It's like one of those crime, uh, you know, like uh, detective, like typical Norwe, uh, 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 Scandinavian uh, crime thing, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I. uh, Yeah, I know. I know those. Those are very popular. yeah cool yeah i uh i'm on an infinite mass record actually oh wow yeah I, I do some sort of intro on it i i went in one day it's him it was i think him and dragon were in the studio and oh, wow. and laid some some stuff down yeah and when is the movie gonna be
1: out well we did uh we did sundance uh which was great it was amazing to finally see it uh, with an audience uh uh, and and it was it was it was amazing for me to see how well it was received with with the audience in the room. They were really in the story, and they I could feel the energy in the room, just like following all the ups and downs in the in the in the in the movie. It was incredible to see that. I'm super excited to see this. Movie. Yeah, no, and then we got some great reviews and all that. So what we did when you do these kind of independent movies is like you know, then you start to shop around and see who would release it for you and um so we got it down uh we got offers and uh, we got a release plan that's going to f- this fall it's going to slowly come out in different countries uh, yes. throughout the fall you know that's my hopes and it's probably going to be you know you're going to have probably have to look for it a little bit but it's going to it's going to be around and it's going to be and there's two versions of it because here in America we got a an NC17 rating which is not that great uh, because none of the movie theaters around America would ever uh, show an NC-17 so I had to re-edit do a censored version basically that's called an R version oh, wow. so there's two versions um, there's an R version and an unrated version we call oh, it no? okay well oh. but then
0: the rest of the world gets the real uncut version
1: it's different from different countries uh, some countries are very strict with their censorship um, but have platforms where you can see it. Mm. Uh you know, and obviously my hope is that the unrated version is gonna be the one that most people see because that's really my vision. That's really what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, and um, unfortunately a lot of these streaming platforms doesn't do NC17 either. So uh Really? Yeah, those days are over, man. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I just I mean I just well, okay. Because
0: I just saw this uh I just downloaded this uh Rocco Sofredi reality show in when I was in the UK and they show some they show everything there that's interesting well
1: that I don't know different. I don't I don't know where you downloaded it and I mean horror movies get away with a lot um, you know there's different types of the, the problem with this movie is that it's it's very real and it's young people and it's it's a suicide and it's like it's all the sensitive matters that you can think of mm-hmm. And I get it, it's like everybody's just doing their job you know, and uh, the MPAA whatever they're called, the organization in America, it's their responsibility, that's what they do, you know, yeah. but it's kind of sad to realize that there's no platform for it, you know, what happened to all those great NC-17 movies that we grew up on or that that nobody's ever going to see again because there's no platform for it it's kind of sad
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to make sure I see the the real version of it yeah. when it comes out I'm very excited about it I I love the book and that's another thing did you were you in contact with uh, Michael Moynihan and the the authors of Lords of Chaos no. and Diedrich
1: uh, no 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 no, no okay. I wasn't
0: oh very that's really interesting and Adam Adam's script Adam Parfrey's script is not a part of this movie either. No, ah, it's very interesting. It's a n- yeah. real interpretation
1: yeah. of the story. Well, I and I I think you can give this this story to a hundred writers, and you get a hundred different versions of it. I really I really think so. There's so many different ways of what you can focus on and how you want to tell this story. Uh, but you know, it's like. I don't know if you think we talked enough about it, but it's, I can talk about it forever. But, you know, to me, the, the most intriguing part of the story was the relationship between these young boys and how it could happen. How could this really happen, you know? Yeah. And that sounds like a lame story because we all want to see black metal and party and violence and, like, all that stuff. But And it, it's in the movie, too. That's in the movie, too. But it's, like, you know, what really makes it interesting to me is, like, because I... I got children, and I know you do too, and you start to think about all these things, and you think about the choices that you took yourself when you were at that age. And you, at least I remember when I took some decisions in my life that took me to where I am, and I remember even places where I took a decision. When I'm happy, I didn't take the other decision because I saw what happened to other people, you know? So you gotta have a little bit of luck and common sense to to end up where you are you know and and just that's just fascinating to me that that could happen you know mm. um and they were young they were so young yeah. you know imagine like and they were so driven imagine like being at that age and have your own band and label and touring and record stores and representing bands and killing people and burning down churches and like that's a lot of work all those things they were so fucking driven man it's like you know it's it's incredible how they got all that done in such a short time you know Mm -hmm. and all the creativity of course you know and i you know i i try to not talk much about Varg, but his music is fucking great you know it's like they were so young and they created that music you know it's incredible I'm very uh
0: respectful that you took this story on Mm. um it's a a powerful story but like I said a minefield Mm. a brave thing for you to do and uh if you're telling me the reviews coming in are great man I think you just won
1: yeah well I just want right now I'm just at that place where I just want people to see it you know it's like uh, you know and I think I think uh I think the movie may not be what a lot of people expect it to be, and and uh, and again, I, I, every second in this film is is my take on it, and I take full responsibility for it. This is this is the story I wanted to tell. You know, it's like it came out the way I wanted, except except the censored version. That's I hate that. You know, yeah. uh, film, like, filmmaking is yeah. it's a bitch. It's just the worst art form. You're always in you're always in the hands of circumstances and budgets mm. and schedules and and I got so far with this movie. I was like, "Yes, I got it." And then the censor showed up and mm. fucked it up at the end. You know, so it's like. But you got your version. You I got, got my it. version, yeah. So it's fine. And eventually, it'll be one of those movies that's going to grow. It's not going to be, it's not the Marvel movie that has the first weekend and then it just like goes away. This movie, this movie will be around for a while. There, there's mm. a lot of time for everybody to see it. Right. Right.
0: Now I, I can't I can't end this podcast without asking you. Are you a fan of Toronto now? You spent so much time there.
1: Uh, I am, actually. Yeah? yeah I think I was before, too. Obviously, I haven't spent that much time before, but now, after being there for five months, uh, I left some really good friends there mm. and uh, definitely some great memories. And I brought uh, a really fucking awesome movie in the can with me here to to edit. So... Yeah, you know, and Mark and all those guys that I left behind—they're I consider them my friends, you know. So yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. It, the thing was that everybody's like, you know, yeah, you're gonna get a lot of snow, and I was like, what if we don't? Don't <laughs> worry, man. And then we didn't have enough snow, yeah, yeah. so there we are. It was still cold; it was like twenty below, and then we needed to bring out the snow machines, which was kind of annoying. Yeah. But uh, now I loved it, and and. Um, I'm a sucker for uh, Asian food, and I was uh-huh. right in that neighborhood, so I was gaining a lot of weight, but uh, other than that, it was it was awesome.
0: Oh, that's great. Good to hear. And are you going to, Mark told me you're going to be in and out of Toronto for the next few
1: months? Yeah, I mean, we are officially doing the post there. I'm, uh, I'm just doing my offline edit- editing here, but everything else is done there, so I'm going to do sound mix. I'm going to go there's a fantastic uh, post house they're called Mr. X which is doing all my special effects and stuff so I'll be there and then we actually have because in the movie there's one scene that's uh, summer so we have one more scene to shoot so I'm coming back oh. for another I'm coming back for another couple of days of shooting oh cool yeah and um, if you ever have a
0: screening in Toronto for Lords I'd love to why don't attend
1: we just, why don't we just set one up just for you Danko that would be awesome let's do it let's do it we seriously i can do that i can i can easily do that and the that production company uh, the post house where i work they had a pretty good screening room so that's where we did it last time so oh, i'll man. set one up for you oh i would love it and then you bring your uh your music friends you i'll bring, do you that bring, you bring rush
0: yeah i don't know if i could do
1: that <laughs> they're <laughs> tough they're tough i'm a big rush fan by the way yeah absolutely so am i yeah yeah absolutely
0: um my, my, the house I grew up in is in the subdivisions
1: video. That's my claim to fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you have more claim to fame than that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Well, thank you.